I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Will Byron Leftwich still be calling plays when the Bucks face Minnesota in the next game? And is there any chance Tristan Wirfs will spend time at left tackle this season or maybe in 2021? Does COVID change the Rays' shared city concept? And does USF's bad season hurt Jeff Scott's recruiting efforts? We've got all of those mailbag questions and more answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hope you guys are having a great day. We've got uh, really interesting questions, some serious, some not so serious. Let's keep it on the light side to start. What do you say? Sure. Well, David had asked, and he goes, I must have missed the original CBS broadcast. What is the origin or the meaning of the Jim Nance high-pitched squeal of Tony? Was Romo talking on top of Nance, or was Nance just excited about a play? <laughs> well, Nance does get excited about a lot of plays, and um, those two have, have got great chemistry together. I actually heard Nance reference that very soundbite that you mentioned. It actually comes from our good friend Frank Caliendo, the uh, uh, the great comedian and impressionist that uh, – you know, I actually know a little bit because we used to have him on our radio show all the time, and uh, he and I um, would go back and forth with with uh, our, our Gruden imitations uh, at times. But uh, and he's probably best known for his John Madden, you know, and then Gruden, and and uh, he does every. He's just he's a phenomenal, phenomenal talent, and you see him on Twitter a lot. And so he started doing these things, you know, after Gruden got back into coaching, right? He needed to have. He needed to have a contemporary broadcaster to imitate because he does. He did all the ESPN guys. He was on there for a while. He was on Fox, and you know he does the like, according to my sources, Adam Shifter does all these dudes, and so he started doing um, Jim Nance or uh, Tony Romo and Jim Nance, and he would narrate these various uh, you know viral videos. Right, they could be anything. You know, it could be uh, you know a dog and a cat. You know, going at it. I mean, it could be anything, and he started narrating them as Tony Romo and Jim Nance, because they're so good together. But the, the biggest thing that Jim Nance would say when he'd get excited was at the end, he'd say, Tony, so, um, but his Romo is, is spot on. I can't do a Romo as good as him, but, you know, just, it would be something like, uh, there was, a, I, I guess the one that's most memorable, uh, who is the who is the quarterback that ran like 80 yards and then tripped Daniel on Daniel Jones. Line? Daniel Danny Jones. Dimes. Danny Dimes, that's right. So Daniel Jones is running. And of course, Romo, you know, predicts everything right before it happens. So before the snap, he would take he would take that that uh, you know that Twitter uh, meme or whatever that it became, and he would narrate it. And he'd go, you know, all right, Jim, I think this is where he's going to run the ball. But when he runs the ball, he always falls down, Jim. So you got to watch out for him to fall down. Oh, there he goes. And then as as he's tripping and falling down, you'd hear. Uh, his Jim Nance imp- impression come in and go, Tony! And so that's that's where it came from. He'd just get real excited. Oh, there he goes, Jim. Tony! And then he'd fall down, and then that would be the end of it. But, yeah, that is the, uh, that's the bit that uh, Frank Caliendo does and does remarkably well. He does both both voices. He also 
has done it with uh, Madden and Summerall. You know, those of us who are old enough to remember Pat Summerall was like the ultimate, you know, never rattled play-by-play guy. And, of course, Madden was all animated, and it worked so perfectly together because, you know, um, Summerall would be, he's at the 30, the 40, the 30, you know, and go on and on. And then then Madden would go, hey, there's a guy, boom, you know, he'd start going nuts. And so he he also has done that on Twitter. Twitter became... um, at least during the pandemic when, you know, he couldn't do shows, uh, became uh, really a nice vehicle for him to, you know, to continue to stay engaged with his audience and stuff like that. But if you haven't had a chance, call up Frank's, uh, you know, Frank's website or, or whatever and, and uh, check out Frank Caliano. He's just, he's just a remarkable talent. All right, now we'll get to the more serious questions here. So yeah. we'll start with the Bucks. And Tim had emailed you during the game against the Chiefs. He did. So here was the email. Fades to shortest player, one slant, single wideout on first down when we are down 17. Do you like the play calling? Asking for a friend. <laughs> um, listen, uh, there has been some plays that uh, have not worked, and when they don't work, you certainly say you don't like them, and when they do, you do like them. Um, that particular play, I, I didn't really like. I think the one he's talking about is a third down early in the game. If I'm not mistaken, Antonio Brown, I believe, was in the backfield. I'm not sure. Um, it might have been the one where Antonio was actually supposed to be the hot receiver. I think they blitzed, and uh, Brown sort of goes out into the flat in motion a little bit. And instead of looking back for the ball because he's the hot, meaning that when there's a blitz, you know, you, you, there's more guys than you can block. So when they bring the safety down uh, to to go after the quarterback, you need to turn around because he's got to get rid of the football. And instead, Brown turned it upfield, and it looked like a fade. Um, because Tom had nowhere to throw the ball. I mean, when, when Brown doesn't pick up the fact that he's the hot and, and you know, adjust, then he's just kind of, at that point, leading them down the sideline with a wheel route, but there's no chance of completing it. So uh, he had to throw it way too early, and it was incomplete. I believe that's the play he's talking about. No, I didn't like the call. Look, I think that they have uh, – their third downs have been an issue. And, you know, two weeks ago when they played the Rams, they were they were third and longs. They weren't really very many makeable third downs. They were third and six, third and seven and longer, and those are, those are bad percentage downs for any team. But last week was just inexplicable because they had third and two, third and two, third and three, third and six, and the first four, uh, four or five possessions. And I think they had one first down, and that came, that came early in the game, so – um, they've definitely got to do better. You got to make some more uh, guys available, and we'll get into probably what Romo had to say. Uh, and we did this on you know yesterday's podcast, but you know what Romo said was that you know typically Brady would have maybe two or three receivers available to him underneath, and then one deep. And now in this offense, it's three guys streaking down the field, and maybe one receiver you know available to him. Um, you know, uh, as a dump off or a check down or a safety valve, what have you. And so that's a big, that's a big difference in the offense. You're asking the quarterback to do an awful lot. So no, I didn't like the play. I don't like any plays that don't work, but um, that one in particular um, is just completely out of whack. All right. Derek asked, the only reason Tom Brady isn't on pace for 30 interceptions like Jameis Winston is his 15 years or more of experience and his leverage to tell Bruce Arians no. Do you think the lack of pre-snap motion and very little play action is the root cause of more mistakes by the quarterback in this offensive scheme? 
Well, I mean, the thing about pre-step motion is if it's done with a purpose, and, and usually the purpose is to uh, to try to get a tell or a read on what the defense is doing. In other words, if you bring a tight end or a wide receiver or even a back that you split out, um, typically you know, the defense will adjust and let you know if they have man or zone. And that's a, that's a big that's a big pre-snap read for the quarterback. If you do nothing and you're just stagnant, then they can sit there and disguise whatever their intentions are, and they can sit there in a two deep. Uh, and then at the snap of the ball, here comes the safety downhill as you know, as a guy that splits. And remember, when the quarterback's at the line of scrimmage, he's also trying to determine what, what the defense is doing and adjusting you know, his protection accordingly. If they've got an overload on one side or the other, he's telling the offensive line you know, which way they're blocking down. And so – you know, there's there's a lot of communication going on pre-snap as that play clock is running down, and I, I just think that a way that a lot of teams, you know, there's there's different kinds of motion, right? There's there's the pre-snap motion where you're, like I said, trying to identify coverage, um, trying to you know identify uh, whether it's zone or man. There's also the motion that leads to uh, play fakes, play action fakes, like a jet sweep, uh, that sort of thing, or a reverse or a fake reverse to where you try to get the defense's eyes um, adjusted to one thing and then, you know, the play's actually going another direction. So um, there's a lot of lot of purposeful motion in, in today's NFL. And we just don't see a lot of it out of the Bucks offense. Now, you know, I think the uh, an interesting thing that, Bruce Arians said the other day was, well, you know, Peyton Manning didn't have any emotion in his offense, and he he did just fine. But football has dramatically changed, and it changes every year, right? I mean, there was a time when I think the Miami Dolphins one year had a lot of success with a Wildcat. Well, we don't see that anymore, do we? Uh, because defenses adjusted to it and, you know, pretty much negated that as a as a very effective offense, um, even even near the goal line. And you still see versions of it. But, um, you know, it's just I, I think I think the criticisms of the lack of motion and, and Bruce said, you know, when we talked to Arians about it, he said, I'm not I'm not against motion, but, you know, you, you can't you have to have players in the right position. In other words, you know, they use a lot of wide receivers and, and uh, you know, guys like Chris Godwin in the slot and others in the run game, you know, they use them to block and, you know, you can put people in motion, but you need them in position depending on what the play is, you know, to execute that play. So motion for motion sync. I mean, it all has to sort of be coordinated. And, and, and those are the things that, you know, I think every playbook has, and, and it's just, you know, sort of, you know, like we talked about before, it's a menu, right? Um, you know, but what what is what is the what is the main course? Like, what are you trying to do? And for Bruce Arians, he's trying to get as many explosive plays as he can. He likes to throw the ball downfield, something that Brady knew. Um, protection is key, but if they don't, you know, if they're getting five guys out and they're not keeping running backs or tight ends in, then you know you're going to have to have a lot of guys on the same page, and um, there's a lot of post snap reading going on and that's the thing that that Tony Romo was referring to is that everything is hard about this offense on the quarterback there's no there's no pre-snap tells really and Brady's seen every defense he can recognize it as well as anybody even after the snap 
But everything you're doing uh, has to be in concert with your receivers. If it's option routes, where's the leverage? You know, what's the rotation? Is it from, you know, uh, Tampa to two high safeties and then they rotate down to one one high safety and which side is he shaded? And, you know, there, there's a lot of things that are happening at the snap of the ball. It's incredible. The quarterback position in the NFL is, in my mind, by far the hardest thing to play in all of sports. From a mental standpoint, maybe even, you know, from a physical standpoint, when you talk about the need for, um, you know, for accuracy and toughness and concentration and focus, to be able to see the whole field. I mean, we, you know, Carson Wentz right now, for example, who looks like a terrific quarterback when he comes out. I think he had 33 touchdowns early in his career. They go to a Super Bowl. He wasn't able to play. Nick Foles wins it. Now, all of a sudden, he's not seeing the field. And, and that could be mental. That could be a lot of things. But you're asking the quarterback to do a lot after the snap. And I just think that, you know, people have keyed in on this one thing, and, and there's something to it. I, I think a bigger thing is the, the lack of play action because I know that that's a little more simple to do and, and, and equally effective, and I know Brady thrives under it. So uh, we'll see. We'll see if he does more more uh, motion or more play action. But, um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just it's, that's their offense right now. All right, Brian asks, will Byron Leftwich still call the plays next game? Well, I think so. I mean, every time I talk to Bruce Arians about Byron Leftwich, he'll either say he called a really good game or he'll say uh, he'll change the subject more or less and, and, you know, start talking about the plays, the one or two or three plays they didn't make. And I haven't sensed, at least, if they were going to make a change, um, this would be the week to do it. Okay. And, and you say, well, what, what change would they make? Well, I can't imagine anybody besides Bruce being a guy to call it. I mean, you wouldn't take Harold Goodwin or somebody off the staff and say, you got it and you got the airplane now. You know, it would be uh, most likely Bruce maybe in concert with Byron, but maybe Bruce just calling it. We saw that, uh, I think, in Dirk Cutters last year. He took it back for a game from Todd Munkin. It was our worst offensive output, I want to say, um, and he gave it right back. But that was a desperate head coach trying to hang on to his job and figuring – Hey, if I'm going down, I'm going to go down calling my plays. Um, I, I'm not sure at this point that Bruce Arians is ever going to take it away from Byron Leftwich. And, you know, he may die on that hill. I don't know. I mean, we this again, This understand that this is just the first year um, under the system that there was no offseason, that there was no training camp, there was no preseason games. All the reps and the 400s of, you know, situational things you would have done uh, didn't get done. So, you know, I'm sure they're assuming that, you know, in 2021 they're going to be that much further advanced in this thing with the quarterback and everything. Um, but but as far as the next game, even with the bye week, I, I have sensed zero indication that anything is going to change with who, who calls the plays and, for that matter, um, who speaks in the meeting room. I mean, Byron Byron is, from what I understand, the man in charge of the offense. And, you know, obviously Bruce has input and Tom has input and other people on the staff have input, I'm sure. Um, but it's Byron's baby. And, you know, you can't get around the fact that this is only his second year calling plays. I mean, he's a young, as a coach, he's a, right out of the box. He's as young as you get. And last year he called them for Jameis Winston. 
And there were some crazy successful games, like, you know, the 462, 460-yard back-to-back games that he had at the end of the season. And then we know all about the five and six turnover games. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult offense for the quarterback to run. It's difficult to protect him. And Brady will be another one of these guys who sets probably a career record for interceptions in his first year under Arian's system, much the way every quarterback he's had, Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning, Bud Roethlisberger, right, Tim Couch, right down the line. If you get a second year and Jameis didn't, uh, typically the interceptions go down and you see a market improvement you know, in this system. So we'll, we'll see if, if everything rolls over to 2021 and you have that offseason, you have those training camps and things like that. And, and if Byron Leftwich is still here, I mean, there are, it's possible – and, I mean, the way things are going, it may not help his chances, but it's possible uh, that there will be – what do we already got? Four coaching vacancies potentially, three or four. There could be – you know, t- typically there's literally seven, sometimes seven, eight, nine coaching openings. You could see Byron um, definitely getting interviewed and perhaps even landing one of those jobs. So a lot of things can change year to year. But, um, but yeah, the next game, he's definitely calling the plays. In my opinion, I, I haven't heard anything to the contrary. All right, Patrick emailed you, and this was before the Chiefs game. So Mm. he says, how much credence do you give the fact that Bruce Arians is open with the media and gives honest answers, and that prevents him from the scrutiny that Tom Brady is currently receiving? The Buccaneers are an irrelevant team most of the time, and now Brady is in town. The expectations are heightened, and because those expectations aren't being met, Arians is responding, well, it's not me. Seems to be the opposite way a leader should handle adversity. What exactly has he accomplished as a head coach? I know he's won Coach of the Year award, but that usually just goes to the guy who's most surprised at how your team didn't suck award. The guy has won just one playoff game. I know Tom Brady didn't play well on Monday night, but the team is not 7-4 and four without him. Coach needs to lead by example and not act like, well, if the players just did what I said, I'd never lose a game. Yeah, I get this a lot. Um, gotten in more this year because there's so many Brady fans, and, and I get that as well. I mean, I think half of New England follows him as their NFC team, and and have, you know, abundant love for the guy, and they should. I mean, he brought him nine Super Bowls, six Super Bowl wins. Uh, he's the greatest of all time. And, you know, the thing about Bill Belichick for 20 years, publicly, he didn't cri- criticize Tom Brady. I don't, I'm not sure he criticized any player. You know, if you asked him about things, he would just go, well, well nobody played well. You know, we, we just were on the Cincinnati. We, we just got to do a better job. We just, you know, nobody played well. And, but behind closed doors, of course, he would, you know, fillet those guys. Um, but that was what everybody was used to. You know, no one questions the GOAT. No one calls out the GOAT. And, you know, it's, it's this whole what is he one thing. Look, yeah, one playoff game. He didn't become a head coach until very, very late. You know, I think he was damn near 60 when he became a head coach. And that – resulted after the interim situation that he had in Indianapolis where he did a pretty good job, was coach of the year that year, was coach of the year in Arizona. You know, coach of the year because your team was supposed to suck award, I I think that's a little ridiculous. I mean, I'm not sure that I would agree with that. PA has forgotten more football than anybody who writes me or or myself or or anyone that does my job um, than I'll ever learn. I mean, that's just the bottom line. He's been in the game 40-something years. He's seen the evolution of it. And even at his age, his communication skills are off the chart. He can relate 
and inspire and do all those things that a head coach needs to do with guys that are, you know, 20 years old. Um, and that's, that's really a talent, really a skill. And, and I don't think it's one that should just be, you know, sort of swept away. Um, but, but, you know, the one thing is that he has always been like this in terms of, and he'll tell his team on the first day, I've told this story. Well, he'll, he will stand up there in a meeting and he will tell his team, look, if you screw up, if you, if you, you know, if you don't do what you're, what, what, what we practice and you don't, you're not doing the right things or, you know, there's a play that doesn't go right. I'm going to call, I'm going to call you out. I'm going to call you out in the media and don't take it personal. It's not because I don't like you. It's not because I don't think you're a good football player. It's just your football sucks uh, that particular day. And I know that Brady is, you know, detail-oriented as he is. And I don't know how many – look, I don't know how many choices he really had, right? You heard maybe the Chargers, maybe the L.A. Chargers. Um, recently somebody suggested the Chicago Bears were interested. I know – uh, in talking to John Lynch, the 49ers had a conversation, but I think that was his people reaching out to them, and it, and it was Tom Brady. So you'd be remiss not to at least you know get with um, you know Shanahan and, and and try to discuss. Hey, is this something we want to do here? Uh, they were coming off a Super Bowl with with Garoppolo themselves, but he did his research on on BA, and he had lots of resources, starting with Peyton Manning, who's his good you know former rival, of course now now golfing buddy. And they do a lot together, and Peyton knows him very well. I suspect he would have called Ben Roethlisberger or Carson Palmer. All those guys would have told him exactly what B.A. was about. I don't think he's surprised by it. Now, does that mean he likes it? No. I mean, I don't think anybody likes being called out uh, and reminded of the, the mistakes they make. And Tom Brady has made some. You know, this is the other thing. Like, it's it's okay if Tom Brady makes a mistake and people point that out. I mean, the notion that he was going to come down here after 20 years in one system and learn this system, which is, you know, totally different than what they did in New England in terms of high-risk throws, um, the no-biscuit, no-risk-it is real, um, and not make a few mistakes, I don't know what you expect them to do. I mean, the guy doesn't walk on water. He's going to make mistakes here and there. He's going to misread some stuff. Uh, and, again, we just talked about, how everything happens after the snap and how you have to be in perfect concert with your receivers. A lot of times throws are where they should be or where he thought they should be. And the receiver did something else. And so it ends up in the hands of a defensive back. And you're like, Oh man, what a bad throw. But you don't know what, you know, what they were supposed to do. Who was at fault? And so typically we'll ask BA. He doesn't just volunteer this, by the way, we'll ask him, Hey, what happened on this particular interception? Like at the end of the game against the Rams, and B.A. didn't come in and say, well, that, you know, we, we had this game won. All we needed was a field goal, and that doggone Brady threw it away. You know, it's not done that way. It's just basically, hey, hey, B.A., uh, you got the ball back, four minutes to go. You had to feel pretty good right there. Uh, what happened on the interception? And then he will say, well, it wasn't, it, you know, it, was, it wasn't on the receiver or, you know, it, it wasn't a bad throw. He'll go, you know, and as he did in the case of that game, he said, oh, it was a misread. He misread the coverage. And when you go back and watch, it's exactly what happened. And even Brady um, confirmed that the same day, a few minutes later. So I just misread it. Well, you know, they were in a cover two. They hopped into a single high safety. He thought he had Brady alone in the seam. He was going to split the safeties. And it turns out there's a guy back there playing center field. And Brady tried to miss long, you know, because he's 
If he's going to miss, he misses where the ball can't be intercepted. And we saw him throw one short to Miller the other day under pressure, and it got picked off. Well, when he threw it long, it went right in the hands of a single safety. So he misread the coverage. And everybody's like, Tom Brady does not misread coverages. He does not misread any coverages. Well, yeah, he does because he's human. I mean, he's close to being perfect. There's no, there's not been a more perfect quarterback in the history of the game. Uh, but, it, you know, in a new offense, uh, it's absolutely possible and, and, and did, in fact, happen that he mis- misread a coverage. Now, what are B.A.'s options? B.A. can be somebody else. He can be Belichick, and he can say, well, you know, that's on me. I got to call a better play. And then it becomes disingenuous, right? Then it becomes uh, he's just covering for his players. And everybody can see through that. I mean, you want – here's what I never understood. And, and I'm sorry. Like, people get used to being lied to, and they like it, you know? Or they like, they like being told no information at all. Like, if I'm a fan of the team – I want people like myself and reporters to ask the questions that I would ask, and I want a straight answer. You know, I mean, did we really enjoy Bill Belichick's press conferences? Because I didn't. I didn't learn a damn thing, you know, other than who their next opponent was. I mean, two minutes after the game, you're asking about what happened in that game, and he's talking about being on to the next team on the schedule. Well, I'm not here to talk about, you know, the next team on the schedule. I mean, when we go and ask B.A., at the end of the game, uh, you know, and they lose, and we're like, hey, um, Tariq Hill, what was that coverage? What what was your thought about Carlton Davis? You know, what was your plan for Tyreek Hill? You know what? Um, we're on to the bye week, and we can talk about those coverages all the time if you want to, but to be honest with you, I'm focused now on the, what we're going to do during a bye week and how we're going to get this team better and how we're going to prepare for the Minnesota Vikings. Is that what you want? That's not what I want, and I don't think that's what Bucks fans want. But when it comes to Tom Brady, as we found out, no one can question the GOAT. And I get it. I get it. You know, And, and it sounds like – but I don't think Bruce Meek intends for it to mean, hey, I had a perfect day. I mean, I've heard, I've heard Arians after the Chicago game – he couldn't have been more on, t- on, you know, on top of himself, his coaches. He was like, look, we were not prepared. We were outcoached. You know, we, we didn't do anything right. And he put it on himself, and he has before. But, again, when you ask him a specific question, what happened on this play, he is always going to tell you. Uh, and if you don't like the answer, that's okay. You know, go follow another team. Go follow another coach. I, I don't know what to tell you. But it's not, you know, are we are we really at the point where we believe that Tom Brady, okay, the guy who has been through more things, remember Spygate, remember Deflategate, right? Uh, who did that report, by the way? Was it like Robert Mueller or something? <laughs> I don't even remember. But the point is, he's been through all these things, right? We think he, we don't think he has a thick skin. We don't th- we don't think he uses stuff to to motivate him. I mean, he carries around the 199 card where he was drafted back in 2000. You know, what was he thinking when Roger Goodell handed him the trophy after he suspended him that year? You know, I mean, Tom Brady has plenty of thick skin. You don't have to worry about Tom Brady. Don't worry about his feelings getting hurt. I don't. I ask questions all the time and they're like, "Whoa, why would you ask that question?" Well, it's our job. And you know, 
if you want to say it's it's B.A. blaming the quarterback, not taking accountability, that's your interpretation of it, fine. But I've never heard B.A. say, hey, this isn't my fault, it's on the players. You know, now – there's been times when we've talked about penalties. You know, they harp on penalties. Hey, you, you know, don't jump off sides. And for a while, they had not had any of those. And then this last game, they had two critical third downs where they just jumped off sides. Now, should B.A. take the blame for that? Is that his fault? He's not teaching them not to watch the football? He's not harping on it enough? I don't think that's the case. So, Occasionally with B.A., everybody knows, because he's been in football for 40 years, this is what he does. But you also get the good part, you know. You don't get a guy who comes in, it's always dour, you know, cracking the whip over your head. Um, he's, and B.A. is serious about football, and if you watch his practices, they don't tolerate many mistakes there either. Um, but by the same t- token, you know, his his protege, his, his, he was a protege or he followed – Bear Bryant, he worships Bear Bryant. And Bear Bryant was one tough cuss. You know, we're going way back to the Junction boys and all that where they denied him water and whatever. Thank God we've come a long way since then. But his philosophy, and he said it a million times, is he got it from Bear Bryant, coach him hard, and hug him up later. And that's exactly what he does. And guys generally love playing for Bruce Arians. And what players want is give me something that will help me be successful. You know, I want to be successful. This is my job. This is my career. This is how I feed my family. Put me in a position to be successful and and give it to me straight. You know, tell me if I suck. Tell me if what I'm doing wrong. I want to know because I want to fix it. Tell me what it is you want me to do. And be a brutal or unbrutal, you know, or not, whether you like it or not, he tells them exactly. And, and, and he tells us. And I think that's the part that people are like, whoa, whoa. But if you if you followed Bruce Arians, he's been doing this for forty years. I just it's fascinating to me. You know, did he not say it about Jameis Winston? Every interception the guy threw, he told me what happened. I don't. You know, I just I think it's old and played, and I didn't mean to go on a rant, but I hope that explained you know some of the some of the things that everybody seems upset about. Well, you're going to love the next question then. <laughs> so Steve asks, do you think the Bucks would move on from Bruce Arians at the end of the season and try to find someone to maximize Tom Brady while he is here? Someone like Josh McDaniels? Well, let's mark it down here uh, on December 1st as we do this podcast for December 2nd. The question has finally been asked, is Josh McDaniels going to coach the Bucks next season? I uh, don't think so. Never say never. Okay, this is one thing I've learned in this business. Never say never. Um, things happen. Things change fast in the league. I have sensed zero, uh, maybe less than zero, uh, movement away from Bruce Arians or, or that Bruce Arians is considering not coaching next year. Let me ask you this. If you're Bruce Arians and you've been in the game as long as he has and you're 69 years old and – you have a really good football team. I think most would agree, you know. Um, and, and you know, something really crazy happened. It's the worst timing in the world, right? You, 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 you get a chance to come back and coach. You get all your coaches. You got a pretty good football team. It doesn't work out with your young quarterback, so you, you jettison him. Uh, and, and you land Tom Brady. Now, I'll be at 43 years old, but the greatest quarterback of all time 
right? And you're thinking this is the guy that knows the postseason. He can get us there and get us all the way to the bowl. Like you want to win a ring. You want that Super Bowl ring as a head coach. He's got one, you know, with the Steelers as a coordinator. But you want one as a head coach. And you're 69. And you know you got Brady for maybe two, maybe three years, but two years for sure. Are you walking away from this? I mean, they'd have to fire you. And is it possible that that Bruce Arians gets fired at the end of the season? Anything's possible, yeah. I mean, they fired Tony Dungy, for God's sakes. Tony Dungy, who took a team that had, you know, 18 double-digit losing seasons and, and built them back up to a playoff and or uh, NFC, you know, title game, went to the playoffs four out of six years and had a Super Bowl defense and a, and a team on the brink of the Super Bowl. They fired him. Brought in brought John Gruden. He won. One, one with predominantly the team that Tony Dungy had built. They'll fire anybody. We know that the Glazers know how to fire coaches. We know this. And they don't have a problem paying them either. If they still have years on their contract, no big deal. They pay them all the time. What have we had, like nine in the last, or five in the last nine or ten years, something like that? So if you're asking me, could he get fired, anybody can get fired. Let's see how the last four weeks go. They go 0-4? Yeah, it could be a discussion depending on what the reasons are, are for it. You know, if the offense flat lines and Brady just, you know, paint me a scenario. I could paint you any scenario where a coach can get fired. That that happens every day in this league. Do I think that's where they're moving? Do I think that's what's going to happen? Do I think that Bruce is just going to say, ah, you know, the old man is wrong. He's got to find somebody else. It's not for me anymore. Let him get a young guy. I don't think so. And I And I also think that in a perfect world, right? Bruce Arians wins a Super Bowl and his staff, which is full of guys that he's known many, many years or guys who have played for him in a perfect world, he walks away. And one of those guys off his current staff become the head coach of the Bucks. I would think that that would be what Bruce Arians, you know, if he had a plan, um, that would be his preference, but it's not always up to you. And, uh, as as we sit here doing this podcast on this day, after they have just lost, you know, a couple days ago to the world champion, world champion Kansas City Chiefs by a field goal, okay, and didn't get the ball back with four minutes to go, I'm going to tell you no. I don't think that there's a movement that, uh, you know, to get to get Bruce out of here and hire Josh McDaniel. But what would Josh McDaniels bring? He would bring an offense. He would bring – a relationship with Tom Brady. He would bring, you know, um, all those things Brady wants to do. And, oh, by the way, 22 other guys would have to learn that offense next year. How good are they going to be in it when when everybody is learning a new offense except the quarterback? And I don't know if you checked out Josh McDaniel's first stint as a head coach, but he didn't go so well in Denver. And he was hired in Indianapolis and then became the runaway bride. You know, he left kind of after they hired a few assistants and he took the job and then didn't take the job. So hasn't gotten hasn't been offered since. Oh, also one other thing. Have the New England assistants fared very well as head coaches? I think they just fired another one ten minutes ago. Matt Patricia. Look him up. Well, he could be they Josh McDaniel's defensive coordinator. Well, he could be. Yeah, we could just get the band back together. Everybody but Belichick. Maybe Belichick will leave the Patriots and come down here and coach. Why not make a trade? You traded for Gruden. Let's let's go all the way with this. <laughs> let's 
Let's trade franchises. Let's have Bob Kraft own the Bucks and then the Glazers buy the Patriots. I mean, really? I, I, you know, I think it's silly right now. Wouldn't be the weirdest thing I've ever heard of. You know, I wouldn't discount it, but I'm discounting it as, as you know, as something that I think is actively happening. Could they just trade for Bill Belichick? Maybe. There's probably a price that Bob Kraft would part with him. If Bill wanted to come, you know, if Bill said, hey, I'm in Bill's no spring Bay. chicken. I love, love, love the weather down there. I'm on to Tampa Bay. You know, Could he still wear the, uh, you know, cut off sleeve sweatshirts if he coached in Tampa? Bay? Uh, he'd sweat through those things. Could you see that in August? Oof. That would be a bad look for sure. And the, the hair all matted down, what, what, what Harry has. Yeah, now that would not be a good look for him. But um, but hey, man, you know, everybody else is moving down from the Northeast. Why not Belichick? Why not, you know, I think he's I think he's okay in New England, though. Um, and I, my guess is they'll they'll rebuild that thing and find a quarterback and he'll be he'll be okay. All right. Tommy asks, any reason why the Bucks do not play Keyshawn Vaughn at all? I think he has great potential, but why hasn't he been active since early in the season? Well, because the running backs are healthy again. I mean, early in the season, if you recall, the only reason he got on the field was because they had both Shady McCoy and um, Leonard Fournette were hurt. And so it was just Ronald Jones. And when they went to Chicago, uh, they did dress Fournette, but he was, you know, in case of emergency break glass guy. He really wasn't ready to play. So Vaughn got on the field, and I I thought he did some okay things, you know. Um, Again, Understand how hard this season was for everybody. Well, it's it's now multiply that because it's especially hard for rookies. I mean, rookies are swimming, right? They have so much information piled on them. They've come through the combine, the draft. Then there was no mini camp. Then they're having virtual meetings. Then they didn't. They missed out, as Arian says all the time, on four hundred reps. Right in the in in the off season OTAs mini camp all that stuff, and so they're just not able to compete in the offense. They don't know enough. Right now, running back, you could say, well, it's instinctive. Is that well? Are you going to protect the quarterback? If you put him in the game, do you have to hand him the ball, or can he can he run routes? Does he know who to pick up? You want you want your forty three year old getting blindsided and he's out for the year? Play Keyshawn Vaughn. Um, we don't know all these things. Now, I've seen Vaughn play in situations I thought he was getting better. Uh, but right now, they can't get Shady McCoy on the field, much less Keyshawn Vaughn. And, and the other thing is special teams. You know, um, how does that work? What's his role? If you're not starting in the league, you have to play special teams. You don't have enough players. So, you know, every time they have Shady McCoy up, he doesn't play special teams. So somebody's somebody else has to play it. Um, so you just can't have that many running backs on Sunday that are active and, you know, being the youngest and the less track record. And then it's a matter of trust, you know, does, I mean, does Tom Brady trust a, a, a rookie that hasn't really played in the NFL that much, you know, he'll trust who's out there when there's nobody, when everybody's hurt, you have to trust your guys. But, um, I think that's why he hasn't gone on the field and, you know, look, I mean, I think it's fair to say that, you know, Fournette and, um, you know, Shady McCoy are free agents. Do you think either one of those guys come back here and sign? I don't. I think they move on because they're free agents, and that's what free agents can do. So there'll be room for Keyshawn Vaughn and with the training camp, with the mini camp, all that. 
to prove that um, you know that he can be one A or one B or whatever you want to say at the running back position. But right now, just trying to win games, man. It's just you know everybody calls for somebody that's not playing. But the other thing I would say is remember for every guy you say should be playing. They're at practice every day. You don't think they'd play these guys if they thought they'd help them win? They'd play me if I had one thing that could help them win, but I don't. So they're playing the best guys that they think they need to play to win on Sunday. All right, Ellis asks, any chance we get to see Tristan Wirth spend some time at left tackle this season or next? And do you think Donovan Smith will be asked to restructure his deal this offseason? Well, that's a great question, um, both parts of it. No, I don't think you'll see Tristan Wirfs play left tackle unless there were an injury that knocked out Smith, you know, for maybe four games. And even then, um, you know, Tristan Wirfs is a rookie. Guy's unbelievable, by the way. He's going to be a perennial Pro Bowl talent. I think he should make it this year, to be honest with you. Um, He's that good. He's been that impressive against some of the elite pass rushers in this game. Had a little trouble in Chicago, but that was because they had to throw it every down and, you know, different things happened there. Um, but for the most part, uh, this guy is a complete stud. I mean, phenomenal. And he's athletic enough, and I think his feet are good enough. He played left tackle as well at Iowa. I think he can do it. As far as Donovan Smith goes, it's a big salary next year. Now, Donovan Smith, a lot of people don't like him. I like him more than most people like him for whatever reason. First thing is he's durable as hell. I mean, the guy I've never seen. I don't know that I've ever seen this before, Steve. The guy showed up, okay, on game day in a walking boot. <laughs> I mean, to the game. Shows up in a walking boot. And so guys generally that do that, they stand in sweats on the sideline if they or they're in a suite someplace, right? When you come to the stadium on game day and you're in a walking boot, you're probably not playing. This guy took the boot off, watched him go out there, did not move all that well, went out there with Bobby Slater, the trainer, um, Harold Goodwin, the assistant head coach, a running game coach, and he went through a bunch of drills way early, you know, hours before uh, they were even going to warm up, and he didn't look that good. He kind of was very, you know, moved very gingerly and all that, and the dude went out there and he told Bruce Arians, I'm going to try it, I think I can give you maybe a half. Played the entire game and played well. Played well. Was he perfect? No. But him and Marpet were back, and they called a couple holding penalties on Marpet. One I didn't didn't trust. Marpet, by the way, blocked two guys with on one play with both hands. It was remarkable. Um, so, you know, I think because of that salary is so enormous, they may go to him and say, hey, you know, would you consider a pay cut? And he may tell them no. I'm a left starting left tackle in this league for, you know, six, seven years. Hell no. Um, I think they like Donovan. Uh, I, I don't know that they like him for that kind of money next year because it's not guaranteed. You know, I mean, you, you can walk away, and I don't think there's a big salary cap hit. If, if they really were confident, they would have guaranteed all of it. But I think uh, there will be a discussion about that. And whether Worfs is the, the answer long-term at left tackle or not, we'll see. I think they probably draft another tackle somewhere, um, depending on what, what goes down. But uh, um, I don't see Tristan playing there unless unless you just lost Smith and you felt, you know, our best solution to get our best five guys, you know, that, that somehow we don't want to go with Josh Wells or we don't want to go with Joe Haig. 
and you know, really Tristan's the best guy on the blind side of Brady. I mean, maybe, but he hadn't played there, hadn't played a snap there all year. So why would you, for a rookie that's just learning, you know, on the fly now, why would you then complicate that by moving him, switching sides? So I think they would find a different solution. In fact, they were going to. Um, you know, had Smith not played, Josh Wells, who played started a game last year against the Colts, I think, um, he would have played left tackle. Turned out they didn't need him. So uh, I don't think this year, but we'll see contractually what happens with Donovan next year. Les asks, what are the chances that either Jason Pierre-Paul or Shaq Barrett or both are on this team next year? I'm sure the salary cap will plummet, and I'm sure Drew Rosenhaus won't let Shaq give a hometown discount. Yeah, that's another one. You know, the the salary cap is is going to go down um, because of the lack of fans and the shared revenues, um, and so there'll be less money for everybody. It's a tough one. I mean, look, Shaq Barrett. Nobody expected him to have 19 and a half sacks this year. Um, I think he's what is he up to like seven, maybe seven or eight. Um, he's got a chance to get to 10 for sure. And if you get 10 sacks in this league consistently and you've had, you know, 19, you've got 30 sacks over two seasons, uh, that's that's great production, right? Barrett is a, a little younger than JPP. So the only thing about JPP, however, is that that dude, <laughs> man, that dude's an absolute stud. He's a baller. Won't come off the field barely practices and just shows up and just dominates. You know, I think he's had a, an unbelievable year and the production they've gotten from him since that trade has been great. It's just been great. He's a leader. Uh hard to part with either one, but if you were if you had to only pick one, okay? One guy has a history of injuries uh on or off the field no matter what you say and he's older. Uh and the other guy, you know, Led the NFL in sacks a year ago. Could get 10 this year. So those dudes are hard to find. You know, the best and worst thing that happened to Shaq Barrett was he had a one-year deal, $4 million. It was a contract year, and he went out and led the league in sacks. The worst thing that happened was it was a contract year, and he went out and led the league in sacks in 2020 when when nobody had any money and nobody was going to, you know, sign $100 million deals not knowing what, what the NFL looked like, not knowing where they would have fans, not knowing a lot of things. So they franchised him. And it's, you know, it's 15.8, nothing to sneeze at, but he's got to start over next year. And I know he wants that $100 million payday. So, you know, from my, from my thinking, um, we'll see how the rest of the season plays out. Maybe, maybe Barrett works something out that's reasonable. That helps the Bucks with the salary cap. Maybe he won't want to go someplace else, just just chasing the dollar. Um, but they'd love to have them both back, I'm sure. I think Barrett would probably have a little inside track, though, on JPP, just again, because of his age. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. All right, we'll change directions now and go snarfast. 
Has COVID changed the landscape on the Rays in Montreal shared cities concept? It's hard to imagine getting two new stadiums in the next few years with the economic impact from COVID-19. I haven't thought about it that way. Um, there's not much money out there for a lot of services, and a lot of people are hurting. And um, it absolutely could have an impact on trying to get a stadium built anyplace. Um, the business of baseball, the business of sport, I mean, you want to talk about an area that was the most affected, right? Think about the money, the revenue. This is a small market, right? Tampa Bay as compared to so many others that they compete against. And you had the Lightning, who do very well. They draw, you know, they sell out every night. Um, but they missed a lot of games that would have been played at home, a lot of playoff games that they would have made a ton of money um, hosting. And then how about the Rays? How about a team that's begging for fans that went on the run they went on if those games had been at the trop? Um, it's really unfortunate, but I think I think the point is – well taken that until this pandemic's under control, first of all, you've got teams from Canada playing in the United States. I mean, we've got the Raptors are here in Tampa Bay, you know, um, because of the quarantine situation when you fly into another country and how long you got to quarantine yourself. So that that's first and foremost. I got to get past that. But there are there are there's a lot of need out there. There's a lot of needs in these communities with unemployment. Um, you see the food lines in various cities. You know, people are hurting, and I don't think it's a time where you can start talking about stadiums. You know, you can talk about them. I just don't think they're going to find any money for them. So, yes, it will have an impact. I don't know if it's going to change the landscape. I think they're committed to the idea of doing this. But I also don't know where the dollars are coming from at a time like this. I really don't. All right, Steve asked, Will USF's bad year hurt Jeff Scott's recruiting efforts? COVID made it tough for everyone, but this team was especially bad. I don't think it's helped it. Let's put it to you that way. I, I don't. I you know. I think, you know, guys want to play and join successful programs, but there has to be that first wave of players, right? That um, want to be the reason something turns around. You know, bay made, staying at home, um, all of that stuff, right? But I also don't think you can look at this season with USF or any first year head coach and say, yeah, that's who they are. You know, that's what they're going to be. They're no damn good. Um, look, every, everything was skewed. But for those programs that didn't get to spend any time together with new systems, new coaches, new players, it's really hard to grade, you know, you know your, your win against the Citadel and your loss to UCF, you know, in a shootout. Like somewhere in there, you know, you have to figure out sort of where, where – what the potential of this program is. I believe in, in – uh, you know, Coach Scott, I I look at where he's come from. I look at who he is, you know, son of a coach himself, the time he spent at Clemson. He's really impressive to talk to. If I had a son, I I think I'd be happy with him playing for, for Coach Scott. So let's let them go out there and do their work. You know, I was listening to, um, I think, uh, his show the other day. They had the defensive backs coach on. And, you know, they're talking about recruiting and saying, you know, some of the players that we're in it for, if we get who we, you know, we've got to still wait and see who they mm-hmm. ultimately choose. But, you know, I think I think the early reviews are they're doing pretty well. I think they're going to do pretty well. It's going to take some time. I'll, I'll add need- this. I'll add this. And if you're a player, particularly from this area, if you mm-hmm. like Jeff Scott, right, this bad year doesn't hurt recruiting at all because it's I can come in and play right now. If I'm I good. can play. He said it the other day. He goes, there are no jobs. Yeah. 
Nobody has a starting job. You know, if you look around the American, you go to UCF, you're probably not playing as a true freshman. That's right. Maybe. But you're you know, you've got a chance to start as a true freshman if you're good enough here. Right. You know, every position is open. There you know, so in that regard, it's all about do you believe that Jeff Scott is the right guy to turn it around? And in early indications, I like Jeff Scott. I think he I think he's going to be good. I think this year dealt him a crappy hand. Um, with you know not being able to do anything in the spring, et cetera, and I also don't think there was a lot of talent overall in the program. Period. So, I mean, you know, what were you expecting out of Jeff Scott this year? I mean, it's not like people thought he was going to win six, seven games, and then they only won one. I mean, everyone right. knew this was going to be a rough year. Maybe it was a little rougher than you would hope. Some games weren't as close as you'd hope, but you know, for those that are looking at the program, I mean, ultimately players are looking at: Am I going to have a chance to play? And are they going to make me better? That's you know, right. as we talked about with, with from Brady to coaching and with the Bucks and all that. It's you know, tell me, tell me how I'm going to get better and help me get better. That's what I want. And, right. And, and do people believe Jeff Scott from his pedigree and all his coaching staff is going to help make you better? And are you going to have a shot to play here? And and I think the answers are yes and yes on those. So I don't think the bad season hurts Jeff Scott. Now, next season they go one and ten and yeah. have the same type of games. That's a different story. But yeah. You know, and like I said, I don't think they're going to be ten and one next year, no. but but you're going to see improvements, and, and particularly if you get a full off season as you hope to do this this year, depending Absolutely. on how things go. So I don't think it hurts it at all. Yeah, no, I I would agree with you, and and again, uh, you know, spend some time with a man and understand he's the guy going into living rooms, and he's the guy that you're playing for. You know, as much as the program, you you know, because coaches come and go all the time. You got to look at the school. You got to look at where it is. But we know there's uh, tons of talent around this area. You don't have to go far. He Jeff Scott doesn't have to go far. There's plenty of football players. Um, he's got to got to sell them on the idea that they are going to play. And that, you know, as a guy that was, I mean, I, I was recruited. I, mean, I wanted to play right away. I mean, I, you know, you can go somewhere and sit, but I wanted to play right away. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it's, I, I think, I think it's a good program. I think they're doing a good job. It's a, it's a terrible year. Well, and the one other thing too is. And you and Chris Torello talked about it. We've talked about it. Look how hard this team has played all season for Jeff. Never stopped. They, you never know, stopped. Never stopped. And, and while you know some of the games weren't pretty, those guys were out there were fighting and balling. I mean, what what did I see? Texas has two captains that are transferring from their team. How about What's that? that say about your team? Yeah, how about that? When well, you have two captains that, or, transferring, it says that Urban Meyer's on his way down. That's what it says. <laughs> they might want to stay. Then they might want to stay if he's coming. Yeah, you might want to. Well, yeah, or maybe maybe they don't like Urban, but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, that that is not that is not good for uh, for Tom Herman down there. It's 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 going to not go that way. But yeah, I I hope they get better because I I, mm-hmm. I think it's great for the area when USF is good, you know, and I I, I want them to uh, I want. I want good college football in Tampa Bay, and um, you know, I hope I hope they get get it back together. All right, we'll end the podcast on this question. Buck North asks, "How does Rick Stroud and Steve Versnick spend their bye week with no Bucks games this weekend? What's the one or more things you haven't been able to get finished that you can get done this weekend?" What a great question! Uh, you want to go first? Tell uh, me what you're doing this weekend. I, I have tons of honeydew lists that nonstop. But, <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> um, I, I, for the most part, work from home, so I'm constantly home, whether it's working or doing whatever. So um, we're actually in the process of doing lots of things around the house, from finishing painting to changing out some fixtures to 
Um, Christmas decorations are already up. We did that before Thanksgiving, so that part's done. I don't know. You may be doing that this weekend, but I know you're big into Christmas. I am. And I have, we have, we dragged down a couple weeks ago, actually. We were early. Did the tree, did the, uh, you know, mm-hmm. um, the houses and all the, all the decorations inside. I've done very little outside. So I'm a big lights guy. I got to go out there. In fact, I was going to go out there today. I uh, want to get a train up around the tree. I got, I got things to do. But mostly, you know, it's, I hate to say it. I mean, there's not a lot of time even when I have time. I mean, we're still doing this podcast. I do television. I do different mm-hmm. things. I've got to get my life. Like, I, I've got, I need my car serviced. <laughs> you know, I need, uh, I need the garage cleaned out. Like, life things, right? I need, I need. Yep stuff around the house i mean like i'm like you like during a season you're in such a tunnel that you wonder how you get from week to week but you know there's there's a whole world of stuff that needs to be done around here that we haven't gotten to and just spend some time with my kids i mean that's the other thing you know it takes so much time away you want to be able to enjoy the christmas season so yeah it's uh we won't be we won't be without things to do i assure you and yeah, i've got and soccer I'll, starting for my boys this weekend so. oh that's big baseball oh, nice baseball ended for you. yeah baseball ended right before thanksgiving and then i've got soccer and i'm coaching both their teams this year so bundle up yes it got cold in a hurry it's gonna stay that way uh, i like it though i love it when the weather changes just for a few days down here it's great for a few but, days um, not not, yeah. not for a long time Oh, I don't want it long. Yeah. I got annoyed about the third time I went out today and said, damn, it's too cold to go out. <laughs> I was like, really, I got to go back out. It's going to be colder I mean, tomorrow morning. It's going to be like I know. Imagine I living, I, and I've done it, but imagine living up north, you know, where you're just, I mean, you've done it, of course. But I live three just, winters in Minnesota. Oh. You know, I can't imagine. Can't oh. imagine that. Tom Jones lived up there. There was three, can't mor- imagine th- it. three mornings the wind chill was 40 below when I woke up. You can't. It's stupid. I mean, I was up there when it was like that at the Super Bowl one year, and um mm-hmm. They told you not to breathe too deeply unless you had something over your face or you would literally freeze your lungs. I remember I remember one January. It was January thirty first. The temperature of the whole month of January had not hit thirty. Oh. So that day it hit thirty six. And I went out to go grab the mail. And all I had on was jeans and a sweatshirt. Oh. And I walked outside and was like, it's pretty nice out here. I was uh, now you thirty six out here. You wear jeans and a sweatshirt, and you're freezing. But I right. walked outside. I was like, man, I could stay out here for a couple hours. It feels good because mm-hmm. <laughs> it had finally got to thirty six. Right, and that's why the snowbirds come down, and the water's like sixty degrees, and they're in there swimming in the Gulf. And you're like, what the hell? <laughs> you know, it's too cold for Those everybody are the Canadians. Else. Those are the Canadians. Yeah, right. I guess, but yeah, there's there's plenty to do. I mean, we won't we won't be without uh, out things to do. But I I appreciate the concern. I mean, you know, it's been uh, it's been a long season. I was saying the other day, this last month, I don't know how fast it's going to go. This has been the longest season I've ever endured because it feels it was just the longest year, right? Wow! Well, yeah. I, I was so happy when I woke up and it was December first. I felt like I felt a little like Bill, Bill Murray, you know, where you know, in, in uh, Groundhog Day, because mm-hmm. every day, you know, we've been living Groundhog Day. You know, Sonny and Cher is, they say the love won't pay the rent. Every day at 6 a.m., boom, there it is. And it, and and nothing changes because we've been in this, this COVID hell of 2020. But when I woke up December 1st, uh, first of all, I'm grateful when I wake up any day. But when I woke up December 1st and I said, this is the last month. 
This is it. The last month of 2020. I was excited. It really was. And I don't want to wish my life away the next, you know, 31 days away, but we know what happens when this month is over. We get to flip the calendar in 2021. Don't always assume it'll be better. By I was going to say, are you you're yeah, going don't on that always, limb? It can always, in my philosophy, you know me, Steve, my philosophy, it can always get worse. We can't have nice things now. We can't have nice things, and it can always get worse. So, but I'm, I'm going to also do the giant. I'm going to live in my hopes and not my fears, man. You know what I mean? I'm going to do that. So I'm I'm hoping and I'm hopeful that this is the last month of this god-awful year. Um, and it, it, it nothing else. We get through the pandemic. We get the vaccines are coming out. Uh, by the end of 2021, people will hopefully get their jobs back, get back to work, get, be able to take the damn masks off, be able to travel. You imagine planning something like a trip, like vacation. Um, it'd just be awesome. So, but you know what? Ha- and and we were talking about this the other day. My family. Look, twenty twenty has been an awful year, but from a sports perspective in Tampa Bay, with the exception of going to games, which we haven't been able to do, which sucks. The Lightning won the Stanley Cup. The Rays went to Game Six of the World Series. The Rowdies won their conference championship. Never played the championship. And the Bucks are seven and five, and look like they're on their way to the playoffs. For a Tampa Bay sports fan, it's a pretty good. In, in Florida, the Gators are going to probably play in the SEC championship game. Yeah, from a sports on the field perspective or court, rink, whatever, never better. It's been a phenomenal year. Never better, and we're still look. I'll say it. I think the Bucks make the playoffs. I do too. And, and we mean, haven't said that in thirteen years. It would be it would it would take a monumental collapse for them not to. Well, it would. But looking I, looking I mean, at who's who's ahead on the schedule. Yeah, you know, and and what but the other knowing, teams chasing them, how far back they are. That with the seven yeah. teams getting in the playoffs and potentially eight if some games get canceled here, which are possible right. coming forward. But not knowing how it's going to go, right? Like, I mean, they they could mm-hmm. stammer around, and maybe they just make it at nine and seven, and, it, and they got to go to you know I don't know the number one seed or, or you know. Green Bay or whatever, and, and maybe they lose. I don't know. But my point is, you can add that to the mix, right? It's, look, mm-hmm. if nothing else, the the Bucks have held your interest this year, right? Tom mm-hmm. Brady has been a damn national story. Everybody's watching your Buccaneers, and they've been on national TV and played that well, but on national TV five or six times. And they may be, and this is the thing about the postseason, I've always said, the postseason is for the fans. Your team playing that game, the only game on, Right, and it's win or die, and you know survive in advance or you're done. And for those three hours, for for the anticipation leading up to that day, that is all about your fans, right? That you have a chance. You're in the tournament. You could go to the Super Bowl. You could go there. You got in the tournament. It's possible, right? You play them one at a time, but you can get there. That's what the postseason is about. And the people in Tampa Bay, a generation of people. Haven't seen it in 13 years. It's not like the regular season. Now, it's unfortunate you won't have crowded stadiums. Again, it'll be different, right? Mm-hmm. Just like we watched the Stanley Cup and the Lightning won, and it was exciting. But there was something missing. And mainly, yeah. they weren't over at Emily Arena, yeah, right, wow. with mm-hmm. a, a packed house. But are you telling me that the fans weren't just as jacked up about them winning? I mean, the fans, fans were excited. So you had something to share. It just wasn't. Yeah, it's it was a little. It's un, again the most Tampa thing ever, right? That the year that they win is 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 a pandemic and no one can go to the games. But I still think that the Bucks might might add to that an incredible year for Tampa Bay sports. 
It, it may happen. I don't know if they're going to win a Super Bowl now. I didn't say that. A couple weeks ago, I might have said that, but um, not now. But uh, we'll see. Yeah, it's been a hell of a year. So thanks, everybody. Happy New Year. We'll see you in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> this was not our New Year's show. We'll have to do this again. But, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's what we're doing on our bye week. And, uh, hey, the rest of the week, we're going to have uh, Tom Jones is going to join us, of course, for a couple, couple of shows. Former radio partner, longtime columnist, Tampa Bay Times. And we'll talk college football with Matt Baker later this week and get you ready for uh, all the action if there are any games that are not canceled <laughs> to uh, to talk about in college football. So stay with us. We appreciate you guys listening. We're here every Monday through Friday for Steve Burstink. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 